Are you in the right place? Did you check your phone to make sure that you were listening to the right thing? Welcome into South of Scruffy Podcast. I'm Ben Fields. This is my podcast. Yeah, we've been we've been putting them out on Fridays. We're just mixing it up, keeping everybody guessing, you know. Got Matt Honkinen on the show today. Matt Honkinen uh, made some new music for us, Pitchwire. So we uh, we had to do it in honor of him being here. Yeah, we joked around a little bit about uh, uh, Matt being the bookends for this podcast. He was the first one and and the most recent one. And I, I kind of honestly have a, a, a little bit of a feeling of accomplishment with this podcast. After having Ashley Caps on last week, the founder of AC Entertainment, creator of Bonnaroo, all that. I feel like I've talked to so many people that I set out to talk to when I started this thing that I get this vibe of like, what's left? There's a lot left. It's it's rebirth, man. But I hope you enjoy my chat with Matt, which happened at his studio at Pitchwire. It was a rare uh, South of Scruffy remote podcast. I took the show on the road, but here it is, me and my buddy, Matt Honkinen. We're doing the podcast. Is that what just happened? Uh, you are... When I earmarked South of Scruffy as a thing I wanted to start. I thought there was one person that I could start with that I felt comfortable with. Felt like I was in the trust tree. And uh, and that was you. And that's why you were the first guest on it because I knew that I could try it out, work it out, work with you on getting the format together. And uh, that was like two and a half years ago, man. 126 episodes later. Yeah. It's You're, amazing. But number one was Matt Honkinen. I felt very honored to be asked, and I remember thinking, he's going to do a ton of episodes. <laughs> yeah, right. You thought <laughs> no, it was going to be four. You had the the enthusiasm and the naivety of, of like, this guy's going to do a ton of this. I guess I still do. You do. In a, in a way. Well, I asked you before we started if you thought you would get to this. You were like, yeah. <laughs> well, I did because, the, and the reason is because I didn't start it just on a whim. I thought about it for a long time. I thought about it for a year or more of putting it together and I, and I went and looked at other podcasts around the marketplace and other podcasts that were doing kind of the same thing that I wanted to do and the really the the people that really stuck with it did 18 episodes and I was like that's not going to be me because I don't like embarrassing myself yep. and going out and telling the public I'm going to put out a podcast every week and I go and do six of them and stop what is that drive is that just you and embarrassment? Or is that you like, no, this is, I said I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. It's part of that, which kind of sucks because it should, that shouldn't be what drives me. But the, like, at, at this point, I kind of feel like there's a little bit of, um, like, like I, I, I've started off on this journey to kind of, uh, to tell the story of, of our community, arts and entertainment 
entertainers, people that artists and entertainers, people that I know specifically, and it's grown beyond that. And I feel like it's almost like a little snippet in time of a story of a place and a story of people within an ecosystem that do a certain kind of work. Yeah. Uh, and at this point, I just feel like I need to keep adding pages to the story a little bit, even if it's revisiting page 12 it's still it's still valuable because it's you know it's two and a half years later it's a it's been a crazy two and a half years too but like it's the the ecosystem's changing also and i feel like it's somewhat of a time capsule yeah does that make sense yeah absolutely i love thinking about a podcast as a thing instead of a perpetual radio station like oh joe rogan's Episode one thousand six billion and eight hundred. Like, yeah, it never ends until the end of time. It's always going to be this thing going, and then you see episodes and podcasts that are specifically a thing. Like, this is ten episodes deconstructing this historical event. Mm. That's such a breath of fresh air. And thinking yeah. of it like that, like, dude, you did one hundred and twenty six episodes of the arts and creative community of this Knoxville region, and like, dude, who is left? Yeah, I don't Who's know, left? man. I, I kind of feel that way, especially after having Ashley. We're t- we're talking about this like you're ending the podcast, also, which I want to clarify. We're just kidding, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you are, but I'm just talking. I mean, some Matt Honkin and bookends would would be fine, you know. Uh, I feel weird going after Ashley. Tell me about Ashley, also, dude. Yeah, well, first off, there were like there were a a handful of people that I obviously had to have on the podcast and Ashley Caps was was really big in that in that group of of people when then when I made my list of 50 or 100 people when I first started that I I felt like were really impactful to arts and entertainment in this region and and, and everywhere ultimately people that that punch above their weight and make more uh, uh that make an impact here but really I mean Ashley's impact is international right um Mayor Kincannon was another one that I really, I don't know if she was mayor yet at the time, but it became clear really quickly like that would be a good one to go after. Chris Blue, another one who you were uh, you were part of that, get, making that happen. Uh, but there were a handful of people who, there were a handful of people who just felt like this would be incomplete without having them in there. And, and now that I finally got to talk to Ashley Capps, uh, it kind of feels like a moment where you're like, did I catch the bus? Am I the dog that caught the bus? What do I do now? I an image of you waking up the next morning after the interview with Ashley and just staring out the window and going, it's dead. <laughs> <laughs> I've done it. Sarah, wake the children. It's over. We're packing up. We're moving out. Y'all skip down the hall like holding hands. <laughs> I, I, Ashley was awesome because of course I'm such a fanboy of all of his work because it completely opened my eyes to the way that I take in not just live music but music in general and and because live music was almost my I mean I listened to I listened to music growing up and had a relationship with it but once I started to see live music and being uh, a part of something that feels like it's happening right then and that and that one time and this is you know all these bands that we love to go see they play a different set list every night the the jam bands that started Bonnaroo that I talked with Ashley about last week um, it's a new experience every single time and that shaped the way that that I took in music and 
and since I've been eight, was since I was eighteen when I went to my first Bonnaroo, which was over half my life ago now, yes. I've had a different relationship with music and with going to see live music. It's become my biggest hobby. We were talking about this when you got here. Think about the cultural touchstone that is you and I starting Bonnaroo together. Mm. Like we didn't know each other. No, but we were at the early Bonnaroos, and yeah. it was a cultural like igniter for our generation i think there's a reason that rolling stone said it was one of the moments one of the 50 moments that changed rock and roll forever because and that was early on when they made that distinction but it's totally true it absolutely is true it changed the lives of a lot of people in this region a lot of music fans all over the country i think this region more than maybe anywhere else because we went not because we knew who trey anastasio was or knew who widespread panic was or knew who string cheese incident was we went because it was close right and because ben harper and jack johnson and uh, were on the bill and then we got our eyes open to all kinds of crazy stuff and we were unsupervised yes that's true too dude you, it was college life for me, it represented this this opportunity to go and just see what happens. Yeah, like that's what I love about touring. Like I've talked with Will about this a ton with Peak, with Cinderu, the early days of Tenderhooks, the adventure of getting in a van and just going without a destination. Like, all right, we're playing a show in New Orleans. We have nowhere to sleep. Let's see how that goes. Mm. Like that feeling happens really rarely mm. in life, and Bonnaroo is that feeling. You're sleeping outside, which, by the way. We need to pour one out for all the poor idiots at Bonnaroo this weekend. <laughs> Man, I was in Manchester today for something completely unrelated. I just happened to be in Manchester the day that they opened the gates to Bonnaroo. And man, it was so hot. It was 96 degrees and it did it, it felt like 196 degrees. 70 is too hot in a tent, man. Yeah. 96 is unbearable. But to the point about being unsupervised at Bonnaroo, we were in our, you know, we were what? 18 to 21 years old in that world when we first went to this lawless land literally to where nobody was nobody was saying don't do that it was up to you i know we're the like people yelling at the skateboarders in our yard right now but people who didn't experience the first several bonnaroos don't understand it's a completely different game it was, i forget when ashley said it changed uh, but it, it was it was clear when you when you started seeing I guess the I, I think he he talked about the tool and the uh, police and when that started to become part of the thing and everybody said Bonnaroo sold out and became a clear channel whore you know all that stuff but those early days it really had that uh, it yeah. really had that vibe of of let's take care of each other let's take care of ourselves right. let's keep Dude. it together. I remember setting up camp on Shakedown Street and walking towards the festival grounds for the first time. Do you have a memory of your first, like, the first, like, 25 minutes when you were just kind of exploring and realizing what you were in for? <laughs> I have a very vivid memory of that. I can remember the smell. I can remember the people I saw. I can remember the feeling, the conversations we had, like, clear as day. Yeah, my first day at Bonnaroo... I, uh, I, you know, I, nobody telling you what to do. Nobody telling you don't take that. Nobody telling you don't drink that. I walked around lost by myself for six hours my first time at Bonnaroo. Because <laughs> my first night, it was Thursday night. I was like, um, 
stopping to ask people, hey, uh, 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 I- I'm looking for my campsite. They're like, that's, that's hilarious. <laughs> Good for you, man. Yeah. I'm like, you know where they brought us all in this morning? And they're like, <laughs> far out, brother. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Have a good time. Dude, I, I walked her. I learned so much yeah. uh, 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 just by being completely, completely lost, 18 years old, yeah. scared to death trial by fire situation and a lot of that like that night being lost at Bonnaroo with a head full taught me probably more than anything in my life that you got to carry your own bucket of fucking rocks man like you, you gotta you, you gotta do you gotta take care of yourself yeah man nobody yeah you can't rely on anybody else to how, know which gate you came in and which campsite you're at how important is that very that, important. That feeling of like, oh, I mean, yeah, this, this I can, is my game. I can just die. <laughs> I, yeah. need to, I need to take care of things. Sure. <laughs> yeah. And like to, to, to go and, and say that it was such a life-changing moment for the music thing, it was, but also that first, that first night where I got detached from my friends yeah. and a group of 100,000 people and didn't know east, west, north, south, the name of my campsite, nothing. And I'm sure that's easy to make fun of to people listening right now who went last year. Sure. When there's like waypoints and lights and toilets and clean water everywhere. Well, they got smart about it. Go the first year. Sure. (laughs) You will get lost. Absolutely. They got smart about it and started uh, putting the balloons in the air with numbers on them and numbering the pods where it's like, okay, I'm underneath pod four. Right. We've been to a mall parking lot before. We know how this works. Yeah, exactly. Blue 13. (laughs) Right. Yeah, not not the case. Uh, but to come back to your original question, talking to Ashley was um, was uh, a dream come true. First off, and I asked him most of the things that I that I wanted to ask him, and to be in the presence of somebody who has shaped culture in a way that he has. And I know he didn't do it by himself, but he very much was the mastermind behind what ultimately became the American Music Festival right. in the 21st century. Yeah. And laid the foundation for it. Laid the foundation for it. And not just that, like you said earlier, up until that point we had stories of Woodstock. Right. We had no oh, we're going to go see Jason Isbell, then we're going to walk over here and see Tame Impala, then we're going to go over here and see the Ava Brothers. That didn't exist. No. And, there and were, it's bonkers to think about the music industry and like all the experiences you have had that are that. Yeah. That did not happen before then. Yeah, the model was not that. And, and Ashley even says, like, or he said to me, he said, you know, bluegrass festivals were kind of doing it. Merle Fest. Sure. And there were some bluegrass festivals that had multiple bands playing, but those are in, you know, Virginia or North Carolina, right. small, small groups. And yeah, maybe you can camp out and sleep, but nobody was doing it on the scale of a Tennessee football game, which is a hundred plus thousand people in, you know, 700 acre, uh, 700 acre plot of land. And, uh, and, and then it became ultimately duplicated, rubber stamped. Boiler plated, sent down the road. Coachella started doing it after that. That's there right. were a, a bunch of other folks that did it at scale and said, "Hey, we don't have to have Doc Watson and Del McCory for this kind of festival, or it doesn't have to be a fish festival where it's one band playing right. two sets for for three nights in a row. Why don't we program 150 bands and give a hundred thousand people something to do and a place to sleep, and let them come and have the time of their lives? How do people even?" 
keep morale up for for that amount of time. Now, I know morale is very different at those festivals on Thursday than it is on <laughs> Sunday. Sunday yeah. <laughs> but still, the excitement that's out there, oh, the, the it, it was something that got created, or got, not created, but it got reinvented by yep. Bonnaroo. Yep. In the early 2000s, 2002 was the first year they did it, and it has it was kind of the canary in the coal mine for what for what festivals and live music could be if it was done right. And there've yep. been a lot of them that haven't been done right. Fire festival, oh my god, <laughs> and and others that have been disasters. Yeah, disaster festival, but amazing documentaries. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> but even uh, you know, ten years after the first Bonnaroo, there was. Um, there was Lockin yeah. in uh, Virginia, in Arrington, Virginia, and getting cars into that place was a complete disaster that caused a bunch of people to miss the first night of music because they were in a field that they had kind of funneled everybody through, and it's like that's when you start to realize and appreciate that you just you, this stuff is more than just putting a good lineup together and putting a bunch of people and saying free love, get in a field, take care of each other, don't hurt anybody, do what you want. There's also a very big logistical component to it that those guys figured out early, and that's why they're still doing it 20 years later, I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah. It's big. Did you you played Bonnaroo at some point? We didn't did, we? yeah. Tenderhooks did. And what 20, year was that? 2018, 2017. Oh, wow. the, the year that Kings of Leon was one of the headliners. That recently. It was awesome. Was it? Fantastic, dude. Hilarious story. So we were, no no one knew who we were at Bonnaroo. We had uh, two, maybe 200 people watch us, which was fantastic. Kings of Leon finished at the main stage, and we were at the Bud Light stage behind the main stage. So our thinking was like, hey, if they finish, we're playing. People will kind of navigate their way over. Follow their ears. And we were slated to start playing while they were still playing the encore. And so we got on stage and we like kind of looked over at the stage manager like sheepishly like, hey, can we just, you know, they're overpoweringly loud right now. Can we just wait and start? And she looked back at us and she goes, let's wait. And we were just yeah. like, Yes. <laughs> So we just kind of put our guitars back down, sat back down for a second. Kings of Leon finished. We start playing. There's no one there. Right after the first song, the entire place is packed. Wow. Just everybody just kind of meandered yeah. over because they heard music. We finished, had a great time. And then we get done, and there's a guy on a golf cart who pulls up, and he's like, all right, hop in. We're like, well, we're packing our stuff up. He goes, no, man, hop in. Okay. So we all hop in. He drives us over to the autograph tent. And we're like laughing, like, dude, no one's coming to get our autograph. <laughs> we pull up. There's two stations. There's one station here and station here. This station has a line all the way back. And our station has no one in it. <laughs> so we get in, and we look over, and it's Tom Morello. And he just goes, what's up, guys? <laughs> and then proceeds to sign 8,000 people's autographs. <laughs> Yeah, and we're standing there with sharpies in our hands, and <laughs> like maybe ten people came through. Did you guys get some juice from that though? Oh did people God. did people like like you start to Fantastic. know who you were after that? I mean, all kidding aside, we met a ton of new fans. We talked to a ton of people. The energy of the festival is as fun on stage as it is off stage. The, the vibe is strong at Bonnaroo, and it was very formative. It was incredibly cool to see, A, how tight the mechanism was. Mm. Like, when it was time for us to load in, there was three people helping us. There was this golf cart. There was that thing. There was food over there. They had it down to a T. Yeah. Like, the science of it was was 
it's like watching somebody build a watch. It's like these this many bands and this many fans. The fact that it's not chaos is crazy, right? It really yeah. is. <clears throat> they did figure it out, and and it became a well oiled machine. Um, this year, uh, it's only forty thousand tickets were sold. That sounds amazing, actually. Uh, it does sound nice, right? I was talking to the guys in Manchester today when I was over there. Um, so part of the guys at the at the county, Coffee County, hmm. and uh, they were like, "Yeah, we've we've heard from from some of the people." They well, first off, I asked, I asked. Hey, uh, can you get day passes this year? And they were like, "Well, uh, no." And they said, "Oh, well, they did sell them, but they're sold out." And I was like, "But I just heard it was half capacity." Yeah, how does that work? Yeah, how does that work? And they were like, "Well, I think they intentionally didn't go back full bore uh, because it was kind of it's not the first time they've done it, but everybody's wading back into it after not having done it because it got rained I out. I forgot last year. about yeah, and when I heard it closed last year, I'm sure like everyone else, I was like, ah, COVID strikes again. No, it was fucking weather. It got deluge washed and out. And they just couldn't like even get a truck down the, to the do anything. The site got ruined the week before, oh, and they had man. to cancel it. And and th- and they weren't doing it in the summer. They were uh, they were doing it later. Because, because of COVID. Because of COVID. So technically, it was because of COVID. <laughs> well, yeah, really. Yeah. 2020 got canceled. 2021 yeah. got moved to the fall. And I think it was in September. And then the rain came and washed the whole place out a week before. And it got canceled and insurance claims got filed God. like crazy, I'm sure. And it was, yeah. So I, I think they're wading back into it a little bit, yeah. seemingly. But to your point about like getting new fans when you're doing something like that, um, I have stumbled upon some of the most amazing shows I've ever seen at Bonnaroo. I mean, festivals in general, but Bonnaroo more than any other. Yeah. Because I'm walking up to, uh, let's say, that tent at Bonnaroo, which is the second, uh, this tent, that, yeah, it's the second largest tent at Bonnaroo. And you've got this band who has played for 150 people their entire lives. And now there's 10,000 people watching them, and they are going balls to the wall. There's nothing like it. Yeah. And they had to schlep their gear in because they don't have road crew, yep. and, and they're playing to a crowd, and they're giving it their all. Yep. And then you go away remembering the legendary Shack Shakers <laughs> for the rest of your life. That was my first experience with the Wigs. You know the really? Wigs from Athens? No. Three-piece rock band, Dr. Dogs, like buddies with them. Ah, it was a year Dr. Dog was playing one of the bigger stages mm. and the wigs were on some tiny like Bud Light or something stage at 3 a.m. Was yeah. there, or no, sorry, they finished at 3 a.m. They started at like 12 or whatever. Um, we didn't know who the hell they were. We were just bored. Yeah. We finished seeing, you know, who we wanted to see. We were like, man, let's walk over here. Some, some crazy bands playing. We went and watched their sound check and blew the fucking tent in half. Really? They were, the energy, and it was that energy of them playing to their usual crowd, and then all of a sudden they have a late night Bonnaroo crowd. Yeah. That's Fuel. pure gold to any artist. Like, sure. oh my God, pour this on my ego for the first time. Yeah. You're going to get the best of me you've ever gotten. Yeah. Like, and dude, it was a ferocious show. Absolutely. Like, outrageous show. I immediately fell in love with that oh, band. Man. Also, they broke their bass at the beginning of the show. They like the first On or accident? second song popped a string. That's hard to do, right? And Dr. Dog had finished and was at their show and let them borrow their bass. Ah, so it was I like, see. ah, Dr. Dog, thanks for the bass. Yeah. Which was great for their ego, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> you know they're doing campground shows this year? What do you mean? No. Stages in the campgrounds 
and no. have programmed those stages. Really? Yeah, Paul Cawthon's playing in the campground this year. That's a great idea. Is this the first time? As far as I know, it is. That's a fantastic been idea. Been in a few years. So uh, your music career yeah. has taken some crazy turns since the pandemic started. So Peak was, I think you had uh, the last kind of... It had been maybe a minute since you'd played Rhythm and Blooms when you were on the podcast the first time. Yeah. But Peak was going out and playing out, playing out a lot. Yeah. Uh, you're a Peak Physique, you and Will Wright. Uh, and then did ha, have did you uh, get on board with uh, Lil Iffy too for yeah, a couple dude. shows? Absolutely. Will, Will Sweet talked me into uh, rejoining when he restarted Lil Iffy again for Second Bell. Yeah. He uh, put a hilarious poster of him doing this with his hands up, and it said, fine, I'll do it. <laughs> and he, I remember him texting it to me and being like, hey, man, Tom's not going to DJ. He wants to be on stage. Do you want to DJ? And I was like, fuck yeah. Who's Tom? Let's go. Tom Ado. Okay. DJ Tom. Yeah. Um, so I joined him for that. Yeah. Okay. I think the last time I saw Peak, I'm, tr- I'm trying to think, it was maybe at the Jig and Reel. That sounds right. Yeah. For Rhythm like and a, Blooms? Yeah. For an intimate show? For a noon did, show? Did Benny Smith give me his Altoid box during that show? Yeah. <laughs> to play as a maraca? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, and then uh, uh, the music video we re- recorded with Pop Fizz yes. back in, that was during the pandemic. That yeah. was super COVID protocol yep. uh, stuff. We were... Pop Fizz was looking for something to do. Uh, we are looking for a release for that video. Really? We're going to worry. We need to put something together for it. You do? Unbelievable. Dude, it was so much fun. I remember in like our pre-pro meetings going into that and talking to you guys, like we really did like creative due diligence on that. It was not, it was not like, hey, Matt and Will need a music video and we are- Show up at a warehouse with three exactly. cameras. Y'all wrote a script like- we didn't do anything. Well, it took us a couple months of back and forth. Like we, we had a couple of meetings uh, before we even put pen to paper of like, what is this? Let's everybody come up with uh, something that we all feel good about and comfortable with. And let's like for me, it was let's get our creative storytelling tools and our yes. creative storytelling grammar out there for peak physique to be able to then leverage and use to make something that uh, th- that is a vehicle for their music. And it's so much better. This is one of the beautiful things about the pandemic is because that never would have happened. True. Like imagine Pop Fizz just kept rolling like nothing was different. And we wouldn't have had time. And we kept rolling like nothing was different. Even if we had done something, it would have been you just going, oh, we'll come and shoot one of your shows. Right. Like, or maybe something like that, or an intimate show, or something like that. The fact that it is narrative and storytelling and creative and a blend of like throwback to early MTV music videos, that wouldn't have happened had the pandemic mm. not slapped us. Right. It wouldn't have. Yeah. No, I don't think any of us would have been able to focus on it like we did. We were all just, everybody was kind of browbeaten, it felt like yeah. at the time, because we, it it was so uncertain whether or not um, either of us in the filmmaking world or in the music world, in your case, yeah. were ever going to be able to return to something that we were familiar with or that we knew. Yep. And so it almost felt it it really almost felt like uh, a, a an an expression. Just the fact that the project even happened felt yeah. like an expression of like 
we're going to give our we're, we're going to go balls out right now because Absolutely. we don't know if we're ever going to be able to do anything well, like this again. We love it first of all and second of all we need to release it in a way that people see it like i know we have released it quote unquote but we need to actually properly release it we've mm. been like everybody slammed doing everything we can to keep the lights on moving yeah. things around but dude it is overdue so the process was interesting too and i think we can talk a little bit about that because yeah, sure. it was i i have never been a part of a uh, I've never worked with a band on a music video that we actually had creative, uh, kind of creative, imp- creative equity in uh, from the start. And the thing that I thought was was really exciting and important about it is that you guys didn't come to the table and say, "Here's a track that we want to make a music video for." You came to us with two or three tracks, and you said. Let's focus on one of these songs, which is not like us either. Really, we haven't. It's it's pretty, it's pretty rare that we handed creative license to anybody else. Yeah. And well, it. I think it 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 kickstarted it with uh, a little bit of collaboration. God, stop! Cut in the podcast right now. <laughs> <laughs> the name of the song is is Kickstart, but it. Uh, it it, it started the creative process in a way that was very collaborative. You didn't come to us and say, "We really here's our ideas. We want to make uh, we want to make uh, uh, we, we want to make a visual representation of the song that we've written." You came to us and said, "We have a couple of songs that we feel like are really strong that can be uh, bolstered with some with some visuals, and I sure. think we could have some fun with." And we went back and forth for a couple of weeks just figuring out which song we wanted to use, mm-hmm. uh, and we went with Kickstart. And you guys said something early on when we were just having these, you know, gosh, so lucky to have the time to be able to have the creative process play out. And and you explain these songs to us and explain what Peak Physique is as a band. This was not a transactional project. It was like it it, it was it was completely immersive. Yeah. You were able to sit down with us and and you said, um, you said everything that Peak Physique does is about desire. Yeah. And that's the word and the thing that all of our music centers around. And I mean, I know that that is something that you can say in a meeting or, or say in, a, in, in, you know, creative ideation process and, and it gets, you know, either heated or thrown away. But for some reason that became like the crown jewel of, or, or like the cent, the hub uh, of this whole thing is like, let's make this de- desirous. Is that the is that the word? Yeah. So the visuals plug into that. The visuals completely plug into that, and I think uh, bolst- help bolster that that message. But we but then we started talking about how desire plays out in so many different ways, and in the seven deadly sins, and all seven of them are about desire. And man, like that's a true testament to. I don't think we would have gotten there had it not been the circumstance that we were in. Like both both sides. Like having the space to sit and think about it, having the like the need to reach out and work on something. Like we were going crazy. Mm. Like nobody knew what the hell was going on then. Like I think people forget because the sun is out and it's a million degrees and life is somewhat back to normal. It was a really oppressive 
day to day then. Things felt very locked down. Your your job felt very like up in the air. Forget about playing a live show ever because that wasn't a thing anymore. So even having the band felt silly. Like what is this anymore? Like Peak, well, I have it. We can't use it. Peak doesn't make sense. Like we we make sense in a studio realm, but we make sense on stage. Mm. And it felt very strange to be even working on something at that time. And the fact that you guys gave us an avenue and an invitation to go, hey, let's put our skills together. Like that is something I cherish more than most things in, in, in life because it doesn't happen that often that you get to do your skill and execute it in a creative way just for the sake of creativity. And I think that happens a lot when you're younger and it happens in college and then it's kind of it. And that's the tie that binds this together. Yeah. And, and the thing that was so beautiful about that project is even when we were on set, there was a feeling of like everybody had that same vibe. Like the vibe of just, we're lucky we get to do this. It's something that is giving us something to do during this weird time. And we're getting to pour our creative our creativity into a team instead of just a couple things. Like, oh, it's two people who paid us to do this. No. You guys were equally the stars of this project because you brought the whole idea together. Mm. I feel like that that was it was a moment when it, like we've we, we've said everybody was starved for creative outlet and it was in it, for creative outlets and it was almost like our oxygen was being depleted because we weren't able to to ha to have these these ways to uh, uh, these ways uh, uh, of expression that we've always had these ways to, to to create and I think we kind of partnered with each other because we had to have each other we there was yep. there was some kind of symbiosis or or something to where uh, we were dying a little bit yeah culture was for sure yeah and that felt pretty bad it did. <laughs> Uh, one of the production, uh, uh, the things that happened during production that I thought was hilarious was <laughs> we we filmed it at a at an old church, right? And you know how cinematic immunity is, and and how you you know if you're making a movie, like the laws of physics don't matter, the laws of the <clears throat> land don't matter. Certainly, whatever chord the guitar player is playing doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. You're like, well, and also you feel like, hey, if I'm making a movie, I can just do anything. You're like, if if you if you are standing in front of a wild boar, but you have a camera in between you and you're looking through the eyepiece, you're like, oh, I'm completely safe right now. Yeah, you know, I'm making a movie. I'm all good. <laughs> Look at these shadows. But we had you uh uh light light up that cigar yeah in the basement of that church and. <laughs> The the smoke alarm went off. The fire the did the fire department ever come? No. I don't know. No. But the I mean, and it was late at night. It was like ten or eleven o'clock at <laughs> night when when we had you light that cigar up for that scene. And I mean the ah man, the whole neighborhood was going crazy. We're just out there fogging, opening it the doors. Like our college dorm room. <laughs> all of us trying to get it out of there. Look like Reese Hall movie magic. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but we had Lauren Lazarus in it, who is she's been a guest on the podcast before. Yeah, but she's also one of the, uh, I mean, one of the best actresses we have around here, and I think she's somewhat cooled off on 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 doing the 
on on doing the in front of the camera stuff. But she was amazing. She looked yep. awesome. She was, yep. or, or it was, she was perfect for the part. You guys had it going on. She she added the uh, that 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 desire part that that your character was after. Um, man, it was just a trippy fucking deal and it was awesome we got jandy to cry on on film yeah we that did was impressive and then like another one of those you know we did one of those tricks those camera tricks where we sped up your your audio and shot it at high speed and had it feel very floaty and the surreal so yeah. is, is it 1.25 can we talk about that for a second yeah yeah that's the that's the beautiful like the half slow-mo music video yeah so, so you speed it up to what so you double the speed of the audio. So uh, if you're singing, and she's buying a stairway to heaven, <laughs> instead of, and she's buying a stairway to heaven, right? Is that's, that's how it's played back. And so if you're singing that, right? So you're singing it to the music track, which is what you were doing yeah. at double speed. And then we film it at slow motion, twice the speed, so, or, Twice the frame. Twice the frame rate. Yeah. And then you play it back at regular speed. It all matches up. Your lips match up to the music, but your body movement is slow motion because you've kind of synced those things together. You've synced your lips and the music together, but they're both going twice as fast as they should be, but the rest of the world is still only going half as fast. Awesome. And so, I mean, it's been done before. It's not it, It's not the first time it's ever been done, but we did it in a super fun well, way. Well, and I've never felt cooler than watching playback on that first one. Cody, yeah. Cody Walters showed me the screen, and he like looked at me, and he's like, shake yourself out. <laughs> and I looked down at it, and it's walking slow, with the wind blowing in my hair and the fog behind, I was like, yeah, this is, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I get what, what Usher was all about in the 90s now. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and we did, uh, I guess it was kind of the thriller thing, too. We had a little bit of a pre-story and a post-story to it, too. You know, 15 yep. or 20 seconds at the beginning and the end. That made it that made it super fun. We need to put a real release together. Yeah. It's time. You should. We've got new music ready. Like, we'll, we'll talk about releasing everything. Awesome. What else is going on besides besides peak and if I mean, dude, I okay. I've been working on some edits for uh for Discovery. Yeah. For HGTV particularly, and I've done some stuff, I think with Travel Channel recently. Yeah, man. And I will go through uh the Discovery Music Source Library. Uh, which is our music library that Discovery uses. They've got this whole library full of custom music tracks that they use for all their TV shows. They use them for their commercials. They use them for their social media videos. And I'll be damned if I don't run across your name about every other track I go and listen to. Every day that goes by, you'll see my name more. Really? Yeah, man. Dustin. What is that? What's the? What's this whole like music? Are you creating all the music for Discovery? Because it seems like it if I'm you go search their library. As fast as I can. <laughs> I am, I'm not uh, not as fast as maybe the rest of the library. <laughs> well, so what do they use it for? What Where where does your... I, I guess we should explain to people like what the what the music library is. Sure. Pitchwire and you, Matthew Honkinen, um, do. But I mean, you're, we're, we're in your studio right now. You sit up here and you create music all day that then uh, becomes assets for any discovery property, uh, you know, whether it's 
History Channel, Discovery Channel, Discovery Plus, any show on any of those are welcome to use this library of music. Yeah. And so the stuff that you make ends up on TV shows, it ends up on commercials, it ends up all over the place. But you're, right. you're composing and creating music on a daily basis up here. And I know that's not the only thing you do. You do a hell of a lot more than that. But like part of part of your your bandwidth goes towards that and your stuff is all over the place. Do you yeah. see it on TV when you go downstairs and, oh, yeah. and watch it? Yeah, man. I've, Are I've, TV shows using it or Yeah, absolutely. It's we're we're in year 5 now. Starting right. year 5 of doing it and it's not just me. I'm glad you said that. Like it's we have a team of about 5 people that help. Um but but our company, my wife and I's company Pitchwire has been a partner of Discoveries for about 4 years now. And uh, let me rephrase: It's Warner Brother Discovery now. Jeez, I can't keep up. It's um, well, imagine how the scripts folks feel. <laughs> <laughs> I was there for that part too. Right. Now, man, it's it's honestly it's about seventy five percent of the pie right now, and it is a pleasure. They're awesome. Uh, I, I get the the pleasure of working with that team uh, on a weekly basis, and we make library music for them uh which looks like you know albums of 15 um in a, in a contract we'll do you know four albums eight albums 15 songs per album per album and then we'll we'll stem all those out so it's you know a song will be a minute 30 a minute 45 and then you'll have versions of that song so you'll have one version without lyrics one version without the guitar exactly. one version with just the guitar right. one ver yeah so people like yourself when they need it they can use it for what they need it right. for like all right this is great but we have a vo well great kill the vocals well, right right here. just dip it out number two yeah um so that's a big piece of it is learning not just the song itself and the creation and the composition of the song but how do you execute in a way that's useful to the video guys because mm. people that are on I mean, yesterday I got a call and a show was nearing completion and it was due to air tomorrow. And it's like, we need this done in two hours. So they, they ordered a song from you? Sure. And and said, I need this back in two hours. Yes. Here's what it needs to feel and sound like? Yes. And, and you sat right here and created that custom order yep. ultimately absolutely and put it back out to the production company and they threw it in and slapped it on and mastered it and it went to air. Yep. No, I, I mastered it. Well, but they mastered the, the, the show. Yes. Yeah. I mastered wow. this. I, I got it ready for them, sent it to them. They they finished it. And as far as I know, everything's thumbs up. So, so that's, that's amazing. A, that's a piece of it too. So it is, it is the library side of it, which I'll edit this giant pause out for a second. <laughs> but the library side's been going strong for three years, but the custom side of it has been the other half of that. Work. That's got to be an interesting dynamic especially for a musician and someone who plays as many instruments as you do and someone who composes music also is um to be able to lose the ego far enough to where this isn't necessarily my art and my thing that i'm dying to put out there it's a service or a, a, a not maybe not a service but it's an it's a collaborative process that someone someone's ordering a type of song from me. Right. I've got to remove my ego from it and serve them. Maybe that's why I said service, because you ultimately are serving their ideas and giving them something that works for them. And in a lot of ways, I'm certain that that is um, maybe... <laughs> I'm certain that a lot of people would see that as inhibiting or, or handicapping you being able to create, but 
Is it also freeing when somebody gives you parameters to work inside of? It's the best thing in the world sometimes. So my wife has this piece of advice that she throws at me when I freak out. Like, oh, I only have an hour. I got to do this thing. I'm not sure what to do. My my main thing is it's the creative uncertainty, right? Mm. You get to that place where you're like, what if my idea sucks? Yeah, okay. What if it sucks? You have an hour. Figure it out. Like that feeling, I think a lot of people crumble under because it's kind of counterintuitive to be creative on a timeline. Mm. Like creativity yes. when it's creativity when it's an endless just sit and think about something is one thing. But creativity when you have until two PM is a different thing. And I did not understand that until I started making music for TV. Mm. there's a difference between it's not just is this a thing that I want to do it is the thing that I love and the thing that I'm good at if I can do it really rapidly am I able to execute or am I going to take four days or five days to make sure it's right or as Joseph Nether always says gold plate it like don't gold plate you have to turn off your brain and execute. And that's the thing that my wife always says to me whenever I freak out. She's like, hey man, do the obvious thing and stop thinking. Stop thinking and do the obvious thing. And to me, that says, you've done this your entire life. Stop second guessing yourself and do the thing that your brain thinks of. Mm. Just go, man. Yeah, a couple things. I've always felt like, I've always... (laughs) And maybe I'm a little bit, a little too cynical about it with like, okay, you're a musician. You went and spent eight months in South America to ideate for your next album. Like, did you need that? Why did, why does it take you three years to come up with, with an album? Like you're, I get it, but, uh, I, I would think that these ideas would come and you could create something pretty quickly. You hear about songs that are super popular and super famous that get created in a day. Uh, I've always wondered why sometimes it takes people so long. I would say those songs get manifested in a day. Yeah, I feel you. That's the thing, man. Yeah, I'm too jaded and too... Or not too jaded, I'm too cynical about It's not cynical. It's it's in In my singular experience, it has been... All of the, you know, eight years or eight months in South America and doing this thing and that thing leads to all of a sudden one day when you're on the right wavelength. Right. That can just distill down into a thing. I've always wanted that so bad, though. Like, eh, let me just screw off in Colorado for a summer and, yeah. you know, maybe th- this will manifest in uh, in 2024 as a chart-busting hit, you know? Hey, dude, it's R.I.P., R.I.P. God, edit that out. <laughs> Rip. Pour one out to our buddy Sam. His ex, his old boss, Tricky Stewart, had a post on IG the other day that I fucking loved. He said, everybody loves to start a song. Very few love to finish it. Really? That's it. And it's all about taking a exciting, creative, sparked idea and getting it on someone's cell phone. Mm-hmm. Like if you can get that execution down, you're a true badass. That's the thing. Everybody can start the idea. Everybody has a movie idea. Everybody has a song idea. Everybody can start a demo recording, but getting that to a final thing that somebody can use for a show or use for a film or put on stage at Bonnaroo takes a shit ton of focus. 
and discipline and execution that not a lot of people can do. Talking earlier about the, you know, doing eight episodes of a podcast or 120 of them, that's the chip on the shoulder. There you go. Right there is having to not not be able to say that somebody started something and didn't finish it, you know? That's my biggest fear as as a creator. Yeah. And um when I talk to you about, you know, the creative process and like you know, the blinking cursor being great, the 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 blinking uh, uh empty word document of lyrics that where no <laughs> lyrics are yeah. written, no melody is written. And then the opposite of that, which is you have two hours to put out a song that sounds like this. Yep. Both are extremely gratifying and, and extremely freeing, I'm sure. And they help each other. They do? You, it's. I always talk about work I do for TV as sharpening my samurai sword mm. because you get to use your skills under a, like a time crunch. Even yeah. if it's not like a today, if it's a contract and I'm doing 60 songs, excuse me. I have to stay on it. Like yeah. two songs a day is my current regimen. So before lunch, I'm finishing a song. Wow. I don't mean writing a song. That didn't exist that morning? Didn't exist. Wow. And what kind of, what kind of, uh, 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 what kind of direction do you have to start something like that? Genre, examples. Um, so there is some inspiration or, or something. Current, current culture, man. Euphoria is blowing up. So listening to Labyrinth, like Bridgerton is blowing up, listening to string chamber music, like pay attention to current trends. Like really? what's, what's happening right now in music. Wow. And then, and then you get, uh, you get a directive to create <laughs> two songs a day that fit into a need well, I'm that, I'm self-imposing the two songs. You today. are yes. Okay, that's that's me keeping up with. Oh, I want to get sixty done by this day. Ah, how how am I going to do that? Right. Mm. That's my current. That's my. You know, David Goggins. Yeah. David Goggins says I wake up every Monday and I go run six miles. That's my that's my thing. Mm. Like I'm I'm doing two songs a day, so my samurai sword stays nice and sharp. You're sparring. It's yes. what you're doing when you're making this stuff. I'm making sure that the creative side of me can stay nimble. Yeah. Like if someone comes in and says, hey, I need this and this kind of feel and it needs to be this, I know how to do it. Mm. And Your I can, chops and I cannot rusty, stop because, right? dude, earlier me, I could do it, but give me a month. Yeah. Like I need to listen in the car and listen on my headphones and go back up and try something different. Like not anymore, man. <laughs> man, I've always given in my head, I've always given musicians a hard time for that. I'm like, man, is there anything else I can do to make you more comfortable <laughs> to uh uh write your first album in five years? Like uh, I go to work every day, you know? <laughs> I work every single day. Is is there anything else you need to uh to put out this wonderful piece of art that you you're just stewing on, buddy? <laughs> yeah. I'm a little bit of an asshole about it, but it's I, true. I, I always kind of feel it's true. that way. No, it's true. Yeah. It is. <laughs> I'm not even gonna fight that. That's true. Well, but you don't do that. You know, you like you said, you're sparring every or like I said, you're you know, sharpening sharpening your samurai sword is what you said, and kind of working on the tools every it's, single day. So when you have to or when you want to, when something happens, you have the grammar to do it. You have the tools to do it. You have the chops. That's right. It's the best gig in the world, man. 
the 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 gig where you're doing what you love and what you think about when you have free time to actually be paid is the best gig in the world. I genuinely feel like the luckiest person alive. Really? I really do. What else is uh happening? What else is this, I guess, charged in you or what has this what rock has this turned over in you uh going from you know being a touring musician in your 20s being somebody who has you know played these amazing late night shows for for fans that want to stay up till three o'clock in the morning and see lasers and smoke and and all that fun stuff being a being a uh uh, uh backing dj for a wizard rapper <laughs> And then, and then you know, settling into this uh, groove of creating music for, I guess, probably the largest television conglomerate in the world now. I would assume. I know. I, I, there's no way I can back this up, but they have to be more than a fifth of television. If right? it's Warner Brothers and Discovery, it's, put, H, it's put HBO put, and yeah. D Plus, and yeah. It's reality TV and now narrative TV. Right. So now you're creating for them. Yeah. What does that look like when the pig gets through the python? What does the other side of all that look like as far as your your music for fun career? My music for fun career never stops, man. I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, music for fun for me looks like creation. It's creation, and there's never – when you're making two songs a day, not all of those make it through the final. And it's not just television. It's ad work. It's f independent film. It's, it's radio. It's production for music. But making two songs a day, I don't let the execution always lead. Sometimes I just let the creative brain lead. If I wake up feeling like country music, I'm going to write some country music. And if it's there's not a use for it, I'm going to stash it away. Mm. It's sharpening the sword and going with your feeling. Yeah, That's the thing. If I could talk to an earlier version of myself, I would say stop fighting the way you feel. Go with it. It'll be over faster. <laughs> if you want to write a fucking country song and you start working on hip hop, it's going to suck. Mm. It will suck. Do the thing that your brain is taking you down. So just listen. Listen. Yeah. Follow your heart, man. Follow your gut. But the thing is, and this is the thing that you cannot get until you do it and beat yourself up and fuck up a bunch, the execution part of it. When someone says, hey, time to pay the bills. You know this, man. You've been, you've been on a million creative projects. You've been on a million different types of shoots. When someone says, hey, we have this location for another 45 minutes and this has to be done, it's execution time. It's not creative time. It's how do we do this? That is my problem, man, is I have trouble staying creative when it's execution time. And it is... The thing in it, it's the one thing about myself that I would change, and so the Jordan Peltz that directed your music video, yeah, he also directed the Eric Baker documentary, yeah, Composing a Stranger, which is awesome. Uh, he's directed a couple of other things, which my which is escaping me right now. He is exactly the opposite. I'm 
ADing a shoot for Jordan, and I'm like, man, I'm about to go into overtime, and it's going to cost us $12,000 an hour <laughs> to continue to shoot your idea you've got here. And he's like, oh, that's great, man. I'm, you know, I'm getting there. I'm pretty close. No stress. No stress at all. It's like my idea is getting ready to is 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 still coming out, and and I am so envious of him for being able to shut out that side of it and and say I'm not going to let this you know breathing down my neck execution side uh, sully the the creative side. And he's not an asshole about it at all. He's just like. No, that's 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 fine. I'm you know if we have to go, we we can. You know that's okay. But he is able to completely s- stay focused on the creative side, yeah. and to continue to put his. He's an ultimate auteur, man. He's like he he's, he gets his he gets his ideas in the can in the camera at at um. It, it, no matter what's happening around him and it's not and it's completely egoless too yeah if i tell him hey man we got to go we're losing our talent or they, they have to go home they they can't be here anymore it's like okay that's you know that's that's fine but to have somebody who is just completely focused on the creative and not like shaken by any of that other side i'm so envious yeah. of because i index the entire opposite way yeah. which i'm almost embarrassed to to uh, to admit because somebody will come to me and I will sacrifice creative. I will sacrifice a performance because I've got good enough in the can already that I'm like, okay, well, I it, I would feel awful if I cost the production another $5,000 right now in overtime. Which is exactly why Jordan needs you on set. <laughs> I'm serious, man. That's, that's the dynamic of peak physique too. Really? That's Will's the auteur side and I am the reality side. Really? Absolutely. Do you guys help each other live in opposite worlds, or is it completely you're in your world, he's in his world, and you guys join up in the middle of that Venn diagram there's for a Venn, just a there's second? There's a Venn diagram, for okay. sure. And you know how it is with Jordan, too, I'm sure. There's 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 always that overlap where you guys are both firing and things are fine. It's crunch time when that's, when those things show themselves, mm. right? It's like, oh, we're late for you know this thing, and we have to be at soundcheck or whatever. That's when it shows itself. Really? Personality shows itself under fire. Always. Yeah. Always, man. Yeah. And I guarantee you that same thing you envy in Jordan is something he envies in you. I guarantee it. Because Do you feel that way about Will? For you, sure. You do? Oh, for sure. I can't be late for anything. I will run over an old lady if we're gonna be two minutes late. Like, I'm the no, same way. We're not gonna be you and I are the same person. Yeah. The execution and the the client sensitivity and the project sensitivity is the priority of mine. Mm. But along with that, the creativity is very important to me. Like preserving the product is important to me, but making sure that shit is done. Like you better believe if someone says this is done by five, it's done by four thirty. Like mm. you're gonna have it by four thirty. I've noticed that about you too. Uh, that I have, that I appreciate so much is that you're able to have as much of the the creativity and the talent that you see in a in a musician uh, bringing so much new stuff to the table uh, sonically and otherwise that is 
it, it, it is right there with anybody else that does what you do. But you also have that other brain to where it's like, this is a business also. Yeah. And I have to keep people happy and I have to, and I have to uh, uh, fulfill my commitments, which is what, what musicians, I think, get a hard time for. Yeah. And it's why most of them maybe don't make it. You know, it's why there's so many garage bands out there that, that don't go because it's hard to be right brained and left brained. You can't, dude. You got to have a manager or a partner. And like in, in Pitchwire, that's my wife and I. Really? Like my wife is the financial, the mm. communications expert, the the flip to my coin that keeps me able to focus on what I'm good at and not have to worry about the stuff that I suck at. And the same thing in peak with Will and I, the same thing with other partners of mine that I work with on TV music. Like I pick people that I partner with that complement the coin. Mm. Like that's a, that's a common thread for me, man. Yeah. Is that a problem? Compliment the coin. Now we're good. Okay. Uh, but so, now that, but now that you said it, I'm going to, yeah, I gotta, I gotta tell you, uh, when I was, um, well, this is, I think, only the second or third uh, remote interview that I've done for for South of Scruffy, and and the uh, the first one, I, th I think the the first one I think was with Umphreys McGee's bass player Ryan Stasic, and and I was down in in uh, Isle of Palms, South Carolina, and he lives down there. And hooked up with him, and he came came over and did the podcast very graciously. Um, his wife has a show now called Breaking Bland on HGTV that uh, that River Media produces. It's really great. Uh, the other one, the other remote podcast where I've not been in the shop uh, was Marianne Canada, who you know, and uh, she's the host of the HGTV Obsessed, Obsessed podcast. Who I did the music for. Also. You did the music for yeah, that one? Did, that's, that's my theme, dude. Is it? It yeah. sounds good. I listened to it earlier today just to kind of get, kind of check on her, see what she's got going on. Wind chimes. Can I tell you a quick funny thing about that? Yeah. One of the notes back, I'm not sure if it was from Marianne or not. Um, one of the notes back on the music was, we love it. We want it to be a touch more magical. And when I read that, I stopped for a second and I thought, wind chimes. And so I just literally just added, Typed wind, in wind, chimes. I added wind chimes and I sent it back and they said, perfect. <laughs> I love it. And I said, yeah, execution. <laughs> uh, her producer on that podcast is Brad Carpenter, right? Yes. So yeah. I got to thinking about him, and you know why I thought about him? Because I was backing into your driveway, and I noticed that you didn't have a street light next to your driveway, because that asshole backed over it one time when he was leaving your house. He came here for a zoo radio spot. And, for the um, Knoxville Zoo? My, my wife texted me after, after he left. I was, like, editing the spot. He was already gone, and she texted me, and she said, hey, uh, the guy who just left came to our front door holding our light. <laughs> What was it like a, a not a street light but like a street lamp? It's just like right? a lamppost, yeah. He, he backed over the lamppost. <laughs> he was like, "Hey man, I'm sorry. I'll I'll Venmo you." I was like, "That's fine." <laughs> I love that guy, man. I need to talk to him. I hadn't seen him in a minute, but he uh he used to open for Bob Saget in L.A. as a stand up. So 
there's no way he's not a fantastic stand-up. That he, dude is naturally hilarious. He and I were in third grade together at uh, AL Lots. We were in the third grade third grade class. I've known Brad longer than I've known just about anybody. Oh, in, how have you not had him on the podcast? You can't stop I him. have. Oh, he's you been have. on the podcast. Okay, That's how I know that Bob Saget was uh was that that he opened for Bob Saget. It was it was early on that that uh that Brad came on. But man, he was so funny and he was doing um I guess he's Phil Williams' nephew, the the uh Phil Williams, I think that's right. The uh uh 103.5 no kidding uh DJ in the yeah. in the morning that yeah, was yeah, on yeah. when we were I guess when I was growing up. You probably you were in uh Saudi Daisy or you know, I know who you're talking about. You do yeah. know who I'm talking yeah, yeah. about. Uh but Brad got plugged into the uh Brad got plugged into the like acting kind of media world as a young kid. And so when he, when we were in third grade together, he was doing commercials, he was doing theater. And I was like, man, not only is this guy my best friend, but he's also hilarious and he's working and he's getting mailbox money from these uh, commercials he's doing. Like this kid's killing it. And, you know, next thing you know, he's, he's, he's backing over lamps, backing <laughs> over lamps in Matt Honkinen's driveway. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I thought about that when I was when I was uh, when I was pulling in. It's, it's good, man. It's so funny. It's my guy, dude. Uh, what else we got? We got anything else? This is a this is a wonderful setting to do uh, to do a, a podcast. I'm at. glad you came over. Honestly, I might repurpose this as we're restarting our podcast. Are you Pitchcast? Nice man. Pa- pass the baton. You know when you were saying like 18 episodes is the cutoff. We made it to 10. Good, good man. I was, uh, I was. <laughs> you were one of those first. 10. I was. I remember sitting on this couch drinking a beer and yeah. uh, telling, telling my. You know, you were like, <laughs> you know, what's some advice you give people in the industry? I'm like. <laughs> First advice I give is don't listen to anything I say. <laughs> we we had a good uh, chit chat with Pillow Cat right, That's right. on the same couch. We did. We've we've rebranded. You have. We're restarting. Good. Uh, it's just the pitch cast. Nice. And we, uh, my wife and I, are doing. The advice that we are sticking to is interview people you're interested in. That's it. Don't stick to, oh, we're just doing finance. We're just doing yeah. creativity. We're just doing entrepreneurs. No, we're just going to talk to people we're interested in. I think that's, that, it. that's good. And and I didn't see this podcast, my podcast, digging into politics at all. But we kind of got in there with uh, India, King Cannon, yeah. and she came on. And then, uh, you know, Jackson Fenner is running for um, – is is running for the DA for the for Knox County and so it's like well I'm interested in this stuff too and like while I've had a couple democrats on like dude bring me a cane choke slam I'm ready <laughs> to have Glenn Jacobs on the pod for sure I mean too. that'd be a that'd be a notch on the belt yeah honestly we've, we've talked about it I've not uh, we we hadn't we hadn't made it happen yet. It has been talked about between me and his team, and we'll we'll see. I refuse to out. let you retire south of Scruffy until you at least get him on. That I would be worried that I would just talk about wrestling. The I whole mean, time. isn't that his whole career though? Yeah, but you know, politicians don't want to come on your podcast and talk about their former career. They want to talk about their agenda and what they've planned to do and all that, which is fine. I mean, it's media. They want they want. To get their message out there, it's sure. ears that are listening, and it's you know. But to me, like 
Mark Maron's podcast with President Obama, which was like, so when did you start smoking? <laughs> you know, he's like, oh, I was 15 in Hawaii. You know, <laughs> like that, that's the, it, that's the, the, the thing that makes the you. the peak of the mountain. It's, it's humanizing yeah. to people. And ultimately, you know, what, people are going to vote red or blue around here. Why not hear about somebody's story? Preach, man. <laughs> you know? Preach. That's some true talk. There's right very there. few undecided voters, yep. that, you know. Seemingly, I could be, I could be wrong. But how many people have walked up to you and gone, you know, I voted red until I heard your podcast? Exactly. And now I'm, now I'm all over it. Not gonna happen. Yeah, but I also I, I'm worried about like picking a side too because I'm not on a side. Sure. And I, I don't, I don't want to be the, I, I don't want to be the, you know, the lib podcast. I don't want to be the, you know, the, the, the red. Podcast. I don't. I don't want to. I don't. Want to be, I want to hear both sides because yeah. I'm very interested in both of them, and yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to pick one. I want to let people decide what they want uh, based on what they hear. Well, know? man, being your first like test in it, you know, your test guest at the beginning of this, and being 127 or 128, whatever, yeah, whatever it is now. Yeah. Uh, all I hope is whether you retire it or not, you do what you're interested in. Like I just want to see you keep doing what you do. Yeah, I'm honestly. not. I'm not gonna quit. I'm not gonna quit doing it. I, 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 j- I joked about it, but uh, because I do feel like I have achieved kind of what my first little idea was when, when I set out. But I'm not. I'm not done. Good. Yeah. Good. I'm so glad that we got to re- revisit it, man. Yeah, and dude. thanks for having me over to the studio. I feel like taking taking this show on the road. I'm about to go. I've got a handful of uh, folks in Nashville that I've been threatening to talk to for a long time. So I kind of need to get in the get in the vibe of taking the show on the road. Absolutely. I've done so many in the shop. Yeah, and we're about to uh, put in the. Uh, we're about to work on the shop and finish it out a little bit, make it a little more conducive space for both the podcast and other things too. So uh, I'm uh, I'm I'm going to do a little road show here. Yes, and. Uh, and get get some hopefully some some guests uh, uh, where I feel like a fish out of water. I mean, I kind of do right now. And you're in your space, it freshens it up, dude. Well, it does. It's sweltering in here right now. It's yeah. not fresh, but feels good. We're doing a lot of like, v, like virtual interviews right mm. now, and it's fine. It's awesome to be able to open it up to whoever yeah, you want. I know, but but we did one today, and for the first time, I was like, it's people in here or nothing. Yeah. Like it's not the same thing, man. I forget what I was listening to. Oh, it was um, Lex Friedman's podcast with Zuckerberg. I love that guy, by the way. Which one? Lex Friedman's awesome. Yeah, he is. I haven't heard his podcast. You should. Uh, I, that was the only one I've listened to. I was okay. like, he had Mark Zuckerberg on his he's podcast. He's a brilliant dude. Hey, I mean, he's an MIT robotics professor, yeah. right? But uh, he and Mark Zuckerberg started talking about. Uh, started talking about how the uh ultimate i mean long story short how how the metaverse was working to how they were architecting the metaverse to more mimic real life and one of the things they were talking about is uh how facebook has their meetings in the oculus glasses or in the you know the vr world uh and there's all of these different uh, there's all of these different ways that they make the interaction between two people that are sitting next to each other. If I turn my head and look at you, we're making eye contact. 
while we're talking and there's visual, you know, cues, you move your eyebrow and, uh, you know, a, a millimeter and it means something right. that people don't pick up. Right. When you're doing a Zoom conversation, if it's recorded for a podcast or otherwise, we're not making eye contact. I'm looking at the camera while you're looking at my face on the screen. Right. We're not looking at each other. Um, and so they, they were talking about the nuances of how that kind of thing really does m matter when you're having a conversation with somebody. It matters so much, dude. The conversation we had earlier today was so great. And then there was these subtle moments of just... Disconnect? Disconnect where someone else felt the need to be like, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. And like while they're doing that, you're going, I'm sorry, go ahead. What, what, what are you saying? Go ahead. And that like, would never happen with you and I in the same room together. It kills any sort of nuance you had. And I think that's what's kind of brilliant about the platform and the way in the way that stuff like this, whether it's videoed or not, um, people crave real. That's why reality TV got so big 25 years ago and continues to be big because they they crave reality. Yeah. They crave something that feels real and doesn't feel staged and does you don't have to suspend your disbelief. Yeah. They they like feeling things that feel human and when they're happening, it, it, people can sniff out a sales pitch ten miles away. Right. They know when they're when they're being lied to, when they're being uh, put on, you know, whatever it is. But to have uh, to have people having real interactions with each other is um, is something that people crave. But it also can be betrayed very quickly yeah. if there is you know technology that's acting up in between the two, or if there's distance if there's latency whatever it is there's a thousand different ways that 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 can that that can be 99.5% real but it may as well be 0% real which hurts because, worse yeah <laughs> totally right. totally cuz it betrays the whole deal well dude thanks for thanks for doing this and Hell for yeah. having me ever setting it all up to where all I had to come in and do is sit down man be yourself yeah let's uh let's celebrate with some air conditioning cheers baby <laughs> see you soon man All right. Catch your breath yet? You like the new music? The Patreon crowd picked that music. Matt put a few tracks together and asked us which one we liked the best. And I said, I'm going to put it out to the Patreon crowd and have them vote on it. And they did. And that's the one they picked. So grateful to have Pitchwire and Matt be a part of South of Scruffy. And, you know, we joke about having... Matt honking and bookends to South of Scruffy, but don't worry. We're not going anywhere anytime soon. You're stuck with us, all right? You guys be good. Take care of each other. Take care of yourselves. We'll talk to you real soon on Friday, right? It's a Friday podcast. All right, Pitchwire, play me out.